Good morning, Kingston. Welcome to CFRC 101.9, Queens Campus Radio, Kingston Community Radio, Independent Radio. Call us whatever you want. We are yours and for your ears. Thank you very much for tuning in this beautiful Wednesday morning. You just heard Indie Wake Up Call, and hopefully you guys are woken up and ready to listen to Life of Kingston, and that's what we're looking at right now. I'm Michael Ashton-Smith, and we're going to be taking a look at some arts and cultural events going on in Kingston, in your community, that hopefully you guys can get involved with too. Shining a light on some awesome talents coming out, because really there are plenty of people doing some very interesting things, and we've got some interviews with two of those people today. First up, we have an interview with Emily Steele, who you might know better as part of her band, Emily Steele and The Deal. She's going to be playing at Wolf Island Music Festival this summer, August 9th. We brought her into the studio for an interview to talk about her album, the band, life as a musician, Wolf Island Music Festival, and all the above. She had some great things to say, and then we're going to be playing one of her songs from her band called Gold. And there's not much else to say, so let's get right into it. This is Emily Steele. Emily Steele is a local talent right from Kingston's backyard here in Wolf Island. She's been in the area for a little over a decade now. Uh, She got her start at the Grad Club at an open mic event and still plays there frequently. And we brought her in today onto our show here to talk about her latest EP, Emily Steele and The Deal, which she released with her band of the same name. And she's also here to talk about playing at one of the biggest music events of the summer, the Wolf Island Music Festival. She played there in 2017 as well, where she opened for Donovan Woods. And she returns this summer on August 9th with a little more music to her name. And Emily, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for that great introduction, Matt. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. Um, So yeah, and I always love doing those introductions because like you get to do a little bit of research on the people and... You did a great job. All accurate for sure. (laughs) Thank you. So uh, being a local musician, I'm sure that some of our listeners are familiar with uh, your backstory and... I'm sure even more interested in it. Uh, So let's talk about that for a bit. You got your start at the grad club. Yeah, that's the first time I played live in front of a microphone. I was a bedroom artist before that. And that was my, yeah, it would have been in third year. That was my first time stepping out onto the stage. And it was run by uh, Greg Tilson, who's also involved in the Skeleton Parks park arts fest so he's such a welcoming character community member so yeah there is just a great community support there as well i would always wait for the very last of the open mic and it'd be the the 12 30 go up there and you know stumble through a few hank williams songs and i'd pitch a few of mine but it was uh yeah i saw a lot of live music there so it was uh first it was it felt natural in that space I always know how to work the room I feel although it is very awkwardly shaped but so I guess that first <laughs> time you walked up there was that like a natural feeling or like was it a planned thing or did you um, just go up there I so I definitely scouted it out the first few times so it did take me probably after the third time I think I finally walked onto the stage but I I scoped it out and I saw the kind of styles and that of music people were playing and just getting familiar with the scene and Finally, I felt comfortable enough to contribute my own to the to the end, and yeah, so it was. Uh, oh, it was a great, great spot. 
Was Stewart's. that something you were looking for to like playing music? Had you already been practicing? And... Yeah, for years. So I started, I picked up the guitar at 16. So I'd been playing for probably like five or six years before I actually went out and, and did it. Well, no, I guess I would have been around 20 when I got into a stage. So four years, I'd say. Um, but no, it's not natural. Not the beginning. Definitely not. You get all those anxiety and anxious feelings. It, it, it didn't come natural to me at the beginning, but I had the impulse to do it. So... I guess there was a little seed in me that wanted to like oh, give that a little water, try it out. So, and I just kept on getting you know positive reinforcement every time I did it. So, it just kind of keeps you plotting along. And so I guess like over the years, did you ever anticipate that first time you stepped on that stage that it would lead you to where you are today, playing it? Yeah, it's curious because I I did see so much music there that I probably like did have dreams of you know doing this and making that happen. Um, but I don't think I was aware of it at the time. I think I was just getting used to that sensation of microphone placement, being able to be comfortable and knowing your lyrics and your song and strumming at the same time and just practicing that aspect of it. The open mic's the way to do it. It's it's so great. And so then I guess now you're playing at Wolf Island Music Festival. Yes. How does that transition feel going from just being you know I guess a nobody at an open mic event all the way to you know playing a festival like that yeah your name's on a bill it feels great it feels it's it's an awesome it's an awesome feeling um in 2017 it definitely was a bit more of a jump I feel much more confident and comfortable now but in 2017 that was the first gig with the bandmates as well so we had been practicing and rehearsing for months beforehand, but uh, definitely went into the first 2017 with a, a few, you know, a little few jitters and butterflies in the stomach. And we actually taped a, like a live version of our, our set. And looking back on it, you can just see, you know, I can just, I, it's, it's like a sports review, you know, you can go through, you're like, oh yeah, still, I can just, I can sense my tinglings, which is also a good thing though, right? You kind of want to be on the edge of uncomfort to kind of like, harvest that special energy that I don't know just comes within me so um I feel a lot more comfortable stepping onto the stage I think uh just knowing my material well and having a really solid dynamic with the band so and so you mentioned that was your first gig with the band with the so band, how, yeah. how did that come together so soon before I had been jamming with a bunch of people you know a circ circuit of people for a few years and then Verge had asked if I wanted to do the festival and I was like Definitely, yes. And it was going to be solo, but then I had been jamming with Jack and John. It's been going very well. So I kind of pitched her as like, listen, can I bring a few people up there? And I've always found it kind of elevated my songs a bit. And just the, my, the experience playing music at such a, I don't know, I really enjoy the energy. I, I like playing solo too, but the energy of the band is at such an exciting dynamic for me. So uh, that's how I got those guys up there. And I was like, all right, I want to make this happen. And then once you have the date, it's like, okay, let's get to work. And so we were pr probably practicing like two days a week to and because we only had a few months and but it was 45 minutes set and it was great. It was such a such a good feeling of success after that. And Donovan Woods killed it after. He's amazing. So it was a great opportunity. And so I guess bringing those people into the band definitely paid off because I've listened yeah. through your EP and like the energy was definitely one of those things that I noted. Yeah. Um, you guys definitely bring that. Something Visceral that, energy. Yeah. 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 In the live performance, I feel like it rings 
through true. So it's great that you can experience that on the EP. It's a good driving record. You know, I'm kind of like, you know, 401, let's do this. But, you know, you don't want to listen to it over and over. It's 20 minutes and then you got to move on. <laughs> I want to have like that CD stuck in your car for too long. <laughs> and so that EP came out this May and that was your guys' first release. Yeah. Was that your first release period? Yes, I did the, uh, for the 2017 Wolf Island Music Fest, I did do a thing called the Emily Demily. So there were demos that I did with... Uh, Rob from Soundworks. So we had worked together and just did two songs, one of them being an earlier rendition of Hard to Hold, and the other one being this song called Just Plain Living, which was written at the 2016 Wolf Island Music Festival when I had all my friends down for the weekend and we got to jamming. And we were also reading uh, the Firefox series. It's a series of books and we were just, it's about the Appalachian way of life, basically, how to make a chair, how to like harvest mushrooms to cure this and that ailment. Anyways, it's a fascinating book to read. And we were just kind of skimming through that one and it harvested that song. So that was on the Emily Demily, which I don't think totally can be found on the internet right now. So the people who got the copies, oh yeah, in it early. <laughs> so what was that process of actually releasing something? and? Well, it was a lot of learning. It did take me a while just because... Was it independent for first... Yes. Yeah. Just myself. You know, just, and it, it, it can be done. <laughs> you know, at first it's, it seems like a big undertaking because you just have to do a lot of reading and talk to a lot of peers and friends and get advice and recommendations. And uh, yeah, Adam Weaver was great. I talked to him a bunch, talked to Dutois a little bit about their process. So, uh, but... It did take me, we went in and started recording May of uh, 2018, and we finished up in like November of that year. Just, we had to take the summer. Everyone's schedules got a little too out of whack, so there was a little break there. But yeah, after you're happy with all the tracking, it's a few months after to get the album artwork done and then send it off. And I decided to get vinyl and CDs, and the vinyl pressing takes like a, you know, 12 weeks plus a little bit more so anyways it was my first time just running through all of that but now that i've got my feet wet with it it's really not that bad it's, the information is out there and people are very nice you just send emails and they're like they're, they're not out to get you so and uh that's actually one of my other questions was you guys met around 2017 or so or were jamming around 2017 mm -hmm. and then the album came out about two years later i was wondering like that refinement process in yeah. terms of how much material do you guys have written before you started refining it down to this six song EP? Yeah, we probably, so this EP was all songs that I had written before. So they were from a period of four years. Some of them I'd written the year before, some of them I'd written a few years before, but they were our tightest songs going in and that May date. But since we had started, we have, we have definitely another album of music right now, but we're just, play 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 tighten it up and make all those ch changes and you know at, at the same time you don't want to overplay the songs too because then they end up getting old for you by the time you finish which is what happened with this one we finished I'm like all right I'm ready to do it again but you have to start somewhere so uh yeah we have a good we have a good bag of and uh repertoire of songs that I'm pretty happy with and we're working on a new one right now so it's uh it's exciting it's always it's always something new and you would just yeah, keep adding to the collection and see how it goes. 
So it's bringing it back to that energy that the band helps bring to it. Uh, you guys, it's like a blend of indie rock, alternative, maybe some bluegrass and country in there too. Yeah. Some names that popped to mind when I first heard it were like the Jayhawks or Supergrass. I don't know if you've ever heard of I've those. I've heard of Supergrass, but not, I don't know if I know the Jayhawks. Okay, yeah, the Jayhawks were probably the closest parallels that I, I saw. But um, I gotta check them out. <laughs> what, what influences kind of brought into your albums? Yeah. I guess you mentioned Hank Williams. That was early. So for me, learning guitar, it, it was set in country music and folk music. I learned a lot of Gillian Welch, Sarah Harmer, uh, all kinds of Hank Williams, Dolly Parton songs. Um, and they kind of helped me learn melody and simple strumming patterns. And yeah, since then, the indie, the indie wave came, and then I was just soaking up all kinds of different tunes and music. Um, in terms of influences that I hear in this record, like John, the drummer, is heavily influenced or listens to a lot of surf rock, and he's played in surf rock and punk bands. So he's definitely bringing that driving energy and delivery instantly, like setting that rhythm and setting it like a, a good pace uh, is set. And I find it really raises the energy levels naturally and then jack can just find that counter melody he just i have my the chords that i have and then with jack's influence of which is like rock blues country as well with him uh he's able to just find these really good grooves that just kind of lock in that melody and the beat together which i find like oh explosive it's great but the key, there's a little bit of t-rex like white stripes with like a few songs that are really like these are simpler songs in terms of just chord structure. So uh, I listened to a lot of White Stripes when I was learning the guitar as well. So there, I hear a little bit of that in there. Um, but Nico Case and like Kathleen Edwards and Sarah Harmer, those were my those were my go-to songstresses when I was in my informative years. And so bringing it back to the actual content of the album too, you uh, in terms of the lyrical content of the album. Are these drawing on lived experiences? Are these drawing on, I guess, just hypothetical scenarios? Or? Yeah, each song is 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 unique to that. There are some story songs in there, like Austin is a story song. Um, Hard to Hold is like a more personal, contemplative, like coming to age song. Spring Song was just about that thaw, and it was written like the day that the water started running a few years back after a long winter. So it's, you know, it was a real life, just I felt the energy of spring release itself, and I was like, let's do this. Um, uh, Hollow Man is you know, a song about capitalism and politics, and, and it's more noted to that spectrum of life. And uh, Take It Away is kind of like a, it's a bit of a woman or a personal empowerment song, I guess, just kind of stand, standing up against getting maybe bullied and pushed around a little bit in my life so it kind of helps me uh you know stand up with a little bit more of a stronger spine so and it's about wearing houndstooth which is my armor in this doggy dog world so that's that's the reference and why there is houndstooth on the front of the cd as well and the cover art i gave ben like a few pointers with the design i was like houndstooth here's a silhouette go for it and then he you know shot back that awesome design so it was it was great <laughs> and so of those songs i don't know if you've decided the track list or the set list for uh wolf island yet but which ones of those might we be able to anticipate okay yeah we'll definitely play hard to hold we love playing austin because that just gets the boogie on gets the room grooving 
Um, I think I'd play Take It Away. Spring song out of season right now, so we might have to let that one sit for the sit for the the big show story spring song. But uh, Hollow Man, we might bring it out. Uh, we're Sadie's in NQ, so we'll try and like alter our set. We can go more hard, you know, more rocking, or we can go more folkin'. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. We'll find that happy median. But yeah, I, yeah, we'll see. We'll definitely definitely a bunch of them will be fe- we'll, we will play through. And so I guess in the greater context of the Kingston uh, music community, this is a little bit of a tangent, but um, I was just wondering, like, what role does the Wolf Island Music Festival play in the Kingston music community? Well, in terms of Virginia giving people the opportunity to have, like, their first opportunity to be on a bill with your idols and mentors and people who come, came before you. I was going to say that so, there's some big names coming yeah, in. Yeah, and it actually, you know, when you're applying for grants and when you're you're going out there and trying to, you know, write your bio, that is, she's given so many artists that opportunity to just finally be able to take that first little step where you can add, you know, I've been featured with and shared a stage with, like that's exactly what happened after I finished. I was like, shared a stage with Donovan Woods. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, 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 it's imperative. She's great with collaborating with the locals. And uh, yeah, I would say it's inspiring for some other people too who come to the shows and I get really inspired to make music by engaging and watching music and my friends and peers like succeeding in doing it. So I think it does play, play a pretty critical role in, yeah, fueling the music community. And even before you would have played there, like, you would have, I would assume, oh, uh, yeah. attended the festival Most over the past definitely. couple of years before that. Yes, yeah, for sure. I always, I did a lot of tree planting in the summer, but there was, in 2008, that's when, when my first uh, Wolf Island Music Fest was. Apostle Hustle was on the bill. It was a good year. I remember... There was a cool design on the shirt with the phone, the, you know, the curly Q phone wire. I don't know, good times. I have the shirt, as you can tell. <laughs> and so were, like, any songs influenced by people you might have seen at the festival, or is that, is that a stretch? Well, no. I think, like, Weeping Tile was playing that year, so that was Sarah Harmer's earlier project. So, yeah, there were people there who influenced me, for sure. Apostle Hustle played that year, too. Uh national anthem of nowhere was that album i really like that i have that on vinyl now i really yeah so there are definitely yeah all all kinds of artists throughout my years they find a little secret spot in me and i think i kind of end up channeling them they get kind of it's big of a smorgasbord you know as it comes out but yeah i think there's probably been a lot of people i experienced on the at the festival the grad club even locally that has uh, yeah made their mark on me for the better and now that you've got some experience both being in the audience, both playing in a studio and a festival context, what are some like differences that people might not understand between playing in the studio and playing mm-hmm. live at a festival? Yeah, it would be the energy that you get from the crowd, which is imperative for me to have like a really good live show. You know, you have an engaged and like stimulated crowd that really it does feed you and in the studio it's pretty much opposite that I don't like it it's not better or worse it's just totally different at least from the way I approach it I'm really conscious of my vocal and what I'm doing in making sure I hit all those right notes and be engaged in that sense when I'm live I kind of just I I don't overthink it I'm just in it in the moment 
and it's just uh, natural and it comes out at, and you can forget about it right after, right? Like, oh, that happened. So it's just a different kind of practice and art. I love the studio too, though. I, I can tinker around and try out different things. It's it's part of the puzzle piece to make the a collection and to make that song happen. So it's cool to break it down like that. But And so you guys put out an EP May. Do you have any plans to return to the studio soon? Yeah, I hope so. I, would, I think we're going to do some singles so some singles and then another we'll do an lp so we have the songs we haven't officially figured out what's going to make it and what's not um but the financing to get that in order but i think i'm going to do a few singles just to keep you know keep i'm kind of they're ready and i'm ready to share it with the world in a little bit so maybe in the fall or winter we'll do a few singles and then yeah i'm we're gonna do another album. I'm gonna do another album. It has to. It's it's been so great. I have to. It's. I'm really excited. So. And I'm sure like the process must be a lot easier now that you've got all exactly. those connections set up. Yeah, yeah. It's and then and then I wonder like should we do it different? Should we do the same? So we'll see. I don't know. These what are all decisions. Would I work with the same people or oh. will I like switch it up? These are all things I I'm just thinking of. You know, ruminating on right now. But we had a great. Uh, a great time we worked with greg dawson at bwc studios so it was a home studio on the west end of town um and he was awesome we just met at julian the wrong guys at that show which was like such a score for us opening for this band i'm a big fan of julie draron as well influence what um so yeah being able to i don't know it was just through the, the people you meet you know and networking throughout the night so i met greg and then a few months later it was just easy peasy, headed down and made it work. And with the home studio, it was really, I don't know, it was just a really nice, comfortable setup for the first time having a studio experience. It was it was really natural and he was a very in, intuitive and easy to kind of get along with and work with kind of guy. So, and so do you stand think up guy. You're going to experiment at all with different studios or I'm different not, setups? I'm not sure yet. I probably will. I imagine that that would be healthy for some different growth you know, to switch it up a bit for me, but I haven't really discussed it with anyone. So we'll see what happens. Cause you can even, even like who's mastering it and who records it. So we all just did it with Gerg this time. It was just like, all right, let's, let's get her done. Um, but next time I consider maybe like, yeah, working with a few other folks and getting some other people involved in the project and getting that outside energy in there. Um, collaboration is, uh, it's a real, I really like collaborating with people, should I say. My phrasing was a little off there. but. And so uh, we are slowly running out of time here. We've got okay. about not too much left. Uh, one last question that I do have for you is yeah. we're going to be playing some music on this show right after from your EP. Okay. You get to pick. Ooh. Okay, let's do... Okay, well, we did just do the music video for the song Gold. So let's do gold, and I hope everyone can find a, a little nugget of joy throughout their day-to-day. -day. Turn over all the rocks you can, folks. <laughs> it's out there. Uh, and I have the exact same opinion. I think we're going to play gold on this show. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's about all the time that we do have for today here. Thank you so much to Emily for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, so we're about to play Gold off of her self-titled EP, Emily, Steel and the Deal, which is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Music, you name it. Emily is on top of her stuff. 
Uh, if you like the sound, and I can't see any reason why you wouldn't, you can check out their set at the Wolf Island Music Festival on August 9th. You can find more information on this at www.wolfislandmusicfestival.com. And if you want your tickets right away, they're available on Eventbrite at www.eventbrite.ca. And once again, a big thank you to Emily for coming on our show today. Thank you very much, Mike. And now, here's gold. Baby, I, my father, sir, he left this world when I was far too young. Put on his boots, still a little too big for you. I'm my father, my father's son. So baby, I'm gonna find some gold Down in the valley is where I am told With my two hands in a map of the land Baby, I'll find me some of that gold Start.
Welcome back to CFRC 101.9. You just heard Emily Steele with her song Gold, and you can check her out at the Wolf Island Music Festival. And up next, we have another festival organizer with us. This man is called Liam Carey, and he is the creative director with the Kick and Push Festival. So we'll be seeing what he has to say about the state of theater in Kingston. So Liam Carey is the founding artistic director of the Single Thread Theatre Company. He's a founding member of the Collaboratory Theatre Workshop Initiative, the Kingston Theatre Alliance, and is a co-founder and current artistic director of the Kick and Push Festival, a month-long festival of innovative staging. Uh, we're here to talk about the fifth annual Kick and Push Festival and what it will be bringing to the Kingston community from July 18th to August 11th. It's a festival featuring numerous theatrical productions that aim to take the audience beyond being passive observers. And Liam is here to talk with us a little bit more about what that entails. Liam, glad to have you here with us. Great to be here. Uh, so before we get into the Kick and Push Festival, let's talk a little bit about your background. So what was your path into the creative arts world? I think, well, I grew up in a small town, so I had a lot of, the town had about 800 people, Grand Bend, Ontario. I mean, a lot of people in the summer, but in the winter it was pretty quiet. So I spent a lot of time reading books and doing other things. And uh, then at one point when I was just about to enter high school, I, I was like, I need something else to do other than just reading books. So I, I sort of got into this idea of um, music, performing arts. Like I, I got lessons. I became a percussionist. I tormented my mom because I was just hitting the drums in our basement for hours and hours and hours. And then once I got to high school and got a taste of that performing art, um, namely music, it was amazing. I also, this thing called theater became really, really interesting. And I started doing that. That's part of the reason why I came to Queens, uh, knowing that I could come to Queens, do a general first year, do a math, do a science, do a film, but also do a theater course. That was really exciting. And over the course of my time at Queens, um, the drama department here is, was amazing. So I just, be, you know, that theater uh, started taking up an increasing amount of my bandwidth, if that makes sense. And then so when I left Queens, uh, I just um, I just kept going. I just kept working, kept producing my own work, um, kept um, my single thread um, alive. Um, we were working in Kingston for a while, and then we expanded our operations to working in uh, Kingston and Toronto, and then now we're uh, doing things internationally. So I just sort of kept that momentum going. And then at some point, um, I had a bunch of people in the community, the Kingston community, uh, that I really respected, that I worked with a bunch of projects, and there was this idea for this larger umbrella organization to advocate for theater uh, sector development in Kingston in general, and that was the Kingston Theater Alliance, and out of that came the Kick and Push. So it was kind of like dipping your toes into the water until eventually you found your entire body submerged just in theater in Kingston. Yes, and then and I look down and I, I see like, you know, I'm starting to get a bit scaly and there's gills, but like I'm okay with it, I'm okay with it. But definitely a gradual process that's been all encompassing, yes. So have you seen other creative scenes other than Kingston's and how would Kingston's compare to some other cities you've seen in Ontario? I would say, I mean, there's so much great art going in Ontario right now. I firmly believe that Kingston is one of those mid-sized um, Ontario markets that are punching way above their weight. Like there's so much theater going on in this community um, of all all natures. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a ton of student theater, there's a community, community theater, there's a ton of uh, indie theater, there's a ton of professional theater and we're punching way above our weight. Um, I think the next step in um, taking that to the next level is to get all these wonderful artists doing all kinds of different theater, get them all together and get them to start planning strategically to make this even a more of a theater hotbed. 
And so I've been getting a little bit more involved in the arts and culture scene this summer particularly. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that there's a really strong and vibrant arts and culture scene here, but does that go year round or is that more of a summer thing? I would say that it's definitely happening year round. I would say um, now that I'm involved with the Kingston Theatre Alliance and very involved in the Kingfish Festival, even though, uh, to use a gardening analogy, the flowers bloom in the summer because that's that's the best time to be outside and be vibrant and people have free time. Um, in order to have those flowers in the summer, you need to be working year round. So I would say it is it is year round, but the fruits of our labors definitely blossoms in the summer. And another thing that's uh, really important to say, um, as I moved, as I finished up at Queens, although I'm still affiliated with the university um, in many different ways, uh, Kingston is also a, a huge tourist hub. Like I feel. I, I feel one thing that I've observed is that um, healthcare, government prisons, and uh, this education are among the industries that keep sort of the, the, the eight months that aren't summer Kingston vibrant. But as soon as the summer hits, um, the volume stays the same, but it's all tourism. Kingston's got an, not only an amazing arts scene, but an amazing like tourism scene. By that, I mean the uh, organizations like RTO9 and VisitKingston.ca and all the hotels and the restaurants. They've really built something special there to make Kingston a boutique tourism organization. So as an artist, it's it's amazing to be able to tap into that huge tourism juggernaut in the summer to like get audience to your shows. That's also why Kingston's so special, I mean, being situated where we are. And so I guess being a co-founder of the Kick and Push Festival, now you're contributing to that, I guess you said, tourism juggernaut. Yes. Uh, so one question I had was actually two questions I have for, were about how the festival came about. So I guess you are the creative director of the festival, yes. correct? Yes, I am. And so I guess there was had to have been some sort of vision for what this festival was in those early years, because it's still in its relative infancy, right? Yes. This is our fifth year. It's only our third year presenting professional work. Uh, in the first, I mean, uh, to go way, way back to 2015, uh, um, a bunch, a bunch of people who were heading various theater organizations in the city, including a Mike Shepard, who was the founder and, uh, the leader of Blue Canoe, um, for many, many years. And I believe he's expanding his talents to this radio station, I believe. Yeah. He's, uh, he's quite a force to be, uh, quite a, quite a force to be reckoned with. I mean, Blue Canoe is, just keeps growing and growing and Michael's the one that made that happen. Um, Brett Christopher, who was running Theater Kingston at the time. Brett has since uh, left Theatre Kingston, now he's running Thousand Islands Playhouse in Gananoque. Um, myself, who runs Single Thread Theatre Company. Um, Bill Penner, who um, is a freelance production manager who used to, uh, did a lot of professional work at Soul Pepper in Toronto, among other things. And um, Michael Catlin, who um, is this amazing member of the theatrical community in Kingston, who, what doesn't he do? Anyway, we all got together and we're talking about how to um, make uh, Kingston more of a theater hub and at, and actually I'm going to back up a little bit before that we were talking about that at about 2011 and we decided it would be a great idea to build this thing called the Kingston Theater Alliance so in 2012 we all these different theater companies collaborated to put on one production at the library downtown um, it was called the Library Chronicles and it was four plays that happened in the library all at the same time and the plays would like walk in and out of each other and then you'd you sort of snake around it was that thing kind of happens more often uh, now than it used to, but at that time it was pretty revolutionary. And that was the first example in recent history of five different theater organizations working together to produce one thing. So that was a rousing success. We thought it was great. And then we're like, what are we going to do now? We ran a series of workshops and uh, we we're trying to figure out what the next step is. And then we got approached by the city of Kingston saying, hey, we saw what you did with the um, 
the Library Chronicles, that's really exciting. But um, we'd really like to see uh, the Grand animated in the summer. Um, City Council and the Mayor uh, noticed that this is our premier venue and it's not being used. So would you be interested in, you know, collaborating to bring something to the Grand Theater? So that was a huge shot in the arm because um, it gave us a definitive uh, goal and a definitive venue to animate. And from that, um, those those five theater companies came together and formed the first Kick and Push Festival, which um, operated in the Grand Theater primarily, and where, where, where we still are. And that's where our box office is, and there's, and there's uh, summer camps there too, but also in places like Market Square and a bunch of other satellite locations. So that's how it started. So it was a bunch of community semi-pro and pro companies that are based in Kingston coming together to sort of jointly run this festival. That happened till, um, that was the first two years. And then in 2017, with the start of the Storefront Fringe, which was part of the kick and push in 2016, the, the Fringe was part of the kick and push um, that Theatre Kingston produced, which is great. And we were really excited about that starting and supporting us, uh, supporting it, because um, it gave it gives everyone in Kingston, hey, do you want to put on a play? Well, like, you've got a couple hundred bucks in a dream. Like, it gives everyone an opportunity. But as soon as we did that, um, we had to say, okay, if the community can access the Storefront Fringe, if anyone can put a show on the Storefront Fringe because it's lottery and what have you, which is great, what differentiates the Storefront Fringe from the rest of the kick and push? So at that point, um, from that point moving forward, as the Storefront Fringe was providing access and uh, opportunities for anyone, but particularly Kingstonians. Um, we needed to redefine the kick and push, and the decision we made, which was a tough one, but I think the right one was, we're going to make all the kick and push programming professional, which means um, it's going to be curated, and more importantly, it's going to provide artists with a living wage. Like everyone that's producing in the kick and push is getting paid enough to like pay their rent and feed their kids, and that is a that that is a huge thing. Um, it also allows us to um, tell our tourism partners who want to support the arts, um, but want to support the arts in a way that they can feel confident sending their guests to us by switching all the mainstream kick and push programming to um, prof to professional productions only. You um, the tourism partners know that if they send their guests to the kick and push, they know they're getting like. There's like um, a minimum quality. Well, there's a minimum commitment. So like qualities and, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But I'll tell you that all these people, all they've been doing for the last month, all they've been doing is this play. So one would hope that there was a certain level of polish. I just think that's a really important um, distinction to make is that professional theater doesn't necessarily mean better, although sometimes it is. Professional <laughs> means that these people are getting paid a living wage and it means that all all their entire focus is on this thing where it's it's it allows for certain um, it allows for more more concentrated work in the product which is why and I know that's that sounds like splitting hairs but I think it's really important community indie and student theater are amazing and professional theater is not necessarily better it just means everyone's getting paid the other thing that's really important with um, providing professional theater opportunities is if we want to keep artists in Kingston you have to give them an opportunity to get paid to do their thing and uh, while there are people great organizations providing those opportunities, like the City, Theatre Kingston, and then just a spiderweb show just down the road, TIP, there still isn't enough to keep people here. So the more opportunities we can we can have to give people paying theater jobs, the better. So it really was a lot came of out talking. of a summit of production companies just coming together. And yes, with the support of the city. With the support of the city. And, uh, then, and then if I may, and then once we had the city support and we had all the... 
um, we had all the theater companies, as soon as that coalition said we had a bunch of great support from other organizations like um, RTO9, Downtown Kingston, Tourism Kingston, the Kingston Combination Partners, Parks Canada, like once there was that nexus, all the organizations in Kingston, there's a lot of pride in the city and a lot of pride um, in the experiences we offer Kingstonians and people without. So once we built that nexus, other organizations who are fantastic jumped on. They're like, oh, you're doing this? Well, we want to be a part of it. We want to help you make it happen. And so that, I guess, covers my second question that I had too, which was regarding the actual logistics mm -hmm. of the festival. So it was this mix of giving people the opportunity to pursue something in theater mm -hmm. while still being paid. And then this was really just the city supporting that artistic endeavor for kick and push. Yeah. Um, and so we've covered a little bit, but let's talk about what actually goes on at the festival itself and I guess what people will be able to see at the festival this year. Amazing. Uh, so there's three professional productions going on. I think I, I, there are, well, if by everyone's getting paid, all of them are getting paid with the exception of the storefront fringe, which is part of our festival. The storefront fringe artists are getting paid, but as opposed to getting a set rate, they get they just get every every dollar you spend to see their show, the artist gets those dollars. Whereas the kick and push, the artists are just, they, we, they're getting paid no matter what happens. And so on the website, I saw three at least, uh, yeah. Kitchen Chicken, oh, yes. Stupid Head, and Paddle Song. Mm -hmm. uh, so what should our listeners know about these productions? Well, um, I'll start um, in order that they appear in the festival. Uh, Stupid Head is an amazing musical comedy. Um, and it's a musical comedy uh, performed by a solo performer, and it's about her life. That solo performer, Catherine, she, um, in real life, like Catherine, the actual person, came to grips in her early adulthood that she had a learning disability. And, and uh, she, it's been quite a journey for her to um, learn how to deal with that. So she thought the best way to share that experience with audiences is to is to put herself as the lead in a musical comedy that she wrote about her learning disability. But the hook is she doesn't do musical theater. She doesn't sing or she doesn't dance, but she has to go do these songs and then talk about. So the, yeah, it's amazing. It's just um, what makes it amazing is, um, is her, the, her performance. And also her other performer, uh, Britta is sort of her band leader slash friend on stage that helps her get through all this. Um, Britta is a, so funny, so gracious, such a gracious performer. And uh, her star is uh, rising pretty vividly. Um, she is coming to us from Broadway to do the show. And then after the last performance, she's getting on a plane and flying back to Broadway. Like she's probably one of, a, if not the most prolific Canadian uh, de women working in musical theater today. Like she's working internationally. So they're, the show is really special to them. So they're coming to Kingston to do that. And we've got this great partnership with the library. When I was thinking about the show, I wanted to find the perfect place to present it. And we've had a lot of positive relationships with the Kingston Frontenac Public Library as per the Library Chronicles. And when I shared this idea with them, um, they jumped on it. We couldn't ask for a more gracious partner. They're like a great musical about learning and education. Like, would you do it in our library? And we, of course, said yes. And so it's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to be super exciting. And so then uh, Kitchen Chicken or Paddle Song? Uh, Paddle Song. Paddle Song is um, something really special this year with the Indigenous programming um, that we're featuring. I want to do something very specific. Last year, the Indigenous programming stream that we had was hands down the most successful in terms of attendance of, of all our productions. Agokwe um, by Wabate Fobster. He is a Anishinaabe artist um, 
um, based in Ontario, and he uh, brought his one-man show um, to the to the festival, and I thought it was great. But what I wasn't expecting was to to sell out almost instantaneously, and we turned a hundred people away at the door. Like it, I just didn't have. We rammed in more seats, and we just couldn't. So I was like, oh, there's a real a real enthusiasm, real hunger for Indigenous stories and Indigenous art in Kingston. So I wanted to offer a little more uh, this year, and I wanted to go about the right way. So I talked to Wawate, actually. As an Indigenous artist, I asked him, would you curate our Indigenous programming this year? Because I feel, as a working um, a working Indigenous artist, I feel like you you know what stories are worthy of telling. You know the context for, this, for those stories. So I'm... I, would you please curate that content for us? And he agreed, which was fantastic. So Paddle Song was one of the two uh, that he chose. Um, it's the story, it's a, it's, a, it's a story, a musical story about a real historical figure named E. Pauline Johnson. She was a half European, half uh, Mohawk um, artist from um, sort of the turn of the century. And because she was half, half, half Native and half European, um, her parents had a really hard time coming together because of the racial tensions. Um, actually, funny story, because um, her parents wouldn't be allowed to get married in uh, the community they were in, they actually came to Kingston and went to Berryfield, because that's the only place they could find a pastor who would actually marry them, because no one else would marry an indigenous person to a white man. So anyway, that was E. Pauline Johnson, and she actually toured um, around Ontario performing as an actress performing um uh, she was a poet and she would do these staged readings of her poetry so this show is the story of her life and it's um being performed by an amazing mohawk artist um named uh, uh sherry Mar markle and she um it's coming to memorial hall and it's 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 amazing like it's gonna be something to see and so one of the things that i keep seeing about the kick and push is that it's an immersive experience for the audience mm -hmm. so is that more related to the storefront fringe or is that in these productions to the audience will be well in i would say in uh, i mean there's other shows other than the three you've mentioned but i let me, i'll just i'll address those because you know we only have so much time as yeah. del delightful as this is um in stupid head you're in the learning center of the library with the two performers and they're like you're right with them and they're like talking to you directly and they're at, they're like interacting with you so it's not sort of that classic we're in a black box the lights go down we'll pretend you're not there look at me it's the performer is as close to you as you and i are right now and like is interacting with you and actually having a dialogue with you so you're immersed that way that's that stupid head with paddle song i would i would strongly suggest um kingston has a very proud history and a very old history and particularly all the recent controversy over you know under examining sir john a's legacy in terms of the indigenous issues um so i would argue um Setting the story about E. Pauline Johnson, whose parents got married in Kingston because they had to, because they couldn't, um, they couldn't get married anywhere else, under the oil painting of Sir John A. There's there's something that's a little bit more about the space than if you, than if you were to see this show in a theater. Like you being in that space is part of the experience, as opposed to just a, a vessel for the experience. And then Kitchen Chicken, well, it isn't a theater, but I don't. I mean, this one's fantastic. I don't. I don't even know what to say about it. It's, it's uh, so amazing. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. Um, it's like watching a family of gifted physical performers recreate sort of bluegrass homespun music from the '30s while they're making a while they're cooking a chicken dinner. 
and they're actually cooking a chicken dinner. Like you can smell the potatoes and the and the, the chicken. And then depending on what happens during the show, depending on what the performers do and depending on what the audience does, um, that let's just say that has a direct impact on how the show ends. And so will you be directing anything this year? Um, no, I had the pleasure of directing something last year. I directed uh, something, I directed a, a play called The Flick at the screening room for the Kick and Push. And uh, I really, it was amazing. But this year I just want to focus on, uh, I want to just focus on running the festival. I only have so much bandwidth and I just want to focus on bringing uh, Kingston audiences and their artists. I just want the festival to be as tight as it can be. So I'm not directing anything this year. My next directing project will probably be in November. It'll be in Thailand. I've got a gig in Thailand, but that's another another story. So in terms of tightening that ship, mm-hmm. how has the kick and push evolved over the years? Because it's still in that weird kind of place Teenage where awkward phase. Yeah, because it's still a young festival, mm-hmm. but you're still at the point where you've had enough experience to have grown. So how has that evolved over the past five years or so, and where do you think it's going to be going into the future? I mean, every year when you run an arts organization, it's about putting on the product, but it's also about building capacity, not only just for audience development, so you can provide a better experience for your audiences, um, but also integrating yourself in the community and knowing what the community partners have in mind. So, you know, what are, how can we promote Kingston as a tourism destination? How can we um, activate beautiful Kingston gems that no one goes to? How can we program in them so everyone goes to this, you know, this wonderful thing? And, um, yeah, so it's, I guess, you build the organizational capacity, you, and then you integrate the, you integrate our activity into the activity of other, other events, like, Fulda, Skeleton Park, what have you, and then also um, into other organizations that are ongoing. I feel like that's sort of the struggle. And then every year, you're like, oh, we could do this better, and then you you do it better next year. You see it evolving over the next couple of years. Yeah. Are there any little tweaks that you want to make for next year? Uh, there are a few. Um, I, I would like to, um, one of my goals um, next year is I'd like to increase our administrative capacity so we can onboard our staff um, earlier. I mean, I think within the next five years, my uh, one of one of our goals is to have someone working on the festival year round because um, having one or two full time staff that are always working on things it 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 is it, that next level right it's that next level of steps. So in say December, you're booking accommodations and like sending out sponsorship packages. You know, so you're 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 preventing that three months before the festival opens like mad dash, which is sort of uh, and I feel like that. Having year-round um, year-round capacity is what separates the smaller festivals from the larger ones, and I and I feel that with the kick and push running for a month, which is I think the longest festival that happens in Kingston the summer as far as total duration, we again are in that sort of awkward in-between phase. We're running for a month, but um, but we don't have necess- we I don't I don't believe we have more capacity than some of the festivals that only run for like four days to take it to the next level we need we need year-round capacity i think so that is wrapping up most of the time that we do have for today excellent uh, so suppose one of our listeners out there wants to experience this festival this year uh, so the event will be running from july 18th to august 11th uh, and is attendance free or are there tickets that they can uh, buy there are there are tickets um the price ranges vary i believe um, the high end is 60 and that ticket this year is for a show like with your ticket comes um, 
a boat ride to and from an island that we're performing on and uh, a few other surprises. And to the low end is, I believe, 20. If you're an arts worker or you're um, under 30, um, you get the cheapest rate, and I believe that rate is 20 for all the tickets. I will say, I mean, this goes without saying, we've been fortunate enough with our uh, organizational partners and our funders that all our tickets, you're you're actually paying maybe about 20% of the actual cost of the ticket. Some of the productions that we're bringing in, if you were to see that same production in Toronto, you'd be paying at least double. Like, you know, we're trying to, we've worked really hard to keep it accessible while still paying the artists what they're worth. And so it is, it might be a little, uh, a little bit more than some other entertainment options, but considering the value you're, you're getting, and uh, the professionals that are performing on stage, like it's a steal. Last year we had about 300 people, according to our demographics data, driving from Toronto to just to see a show because it, they're like, I can see that show for $20. In Toronto, it's 80. Yeah, I'm going to drive just to see the show. And that was a really pleasant surprise. And so you mentioned some venues like the library or just now the island. Uh, so where are some of the other venues that are... We're going to see shows at. Um, uh, this year, we're working with the city to use the area around City Hall. We're working with, um, uh, we're working to secure to present a uh, Midsummer Night's Dream in Battery Park down by the water because, like, everything is better down by the water. Uh, as I as I said, there's an island. We have to go to the website to find out about that, um, but that should be quite cool. And um, and also, we're working on something that a show that might move a show that you get on a vehicle and you're driven around the entirety of the city during the course of the performance. So there's a lot of cool things um, happening. But yeah, go to the website, www.thekickandpush.com and check it out. And you can find a full schedule for the entire... Full schedule. Amazing. All there. So that is all the time that we do have for today. Uh, thank you so much for Liam uh, for coming on the show. We're glad to have you. For all our listeners, as you can tell, there's going to be so many awesome performances at this festival. Make sure to catch as many as you can. And remember to give Liam and the rest of the Kick and Push team a great big thanks, especially from us here at CFRC 101.9. Thank you, Liam. Thank you. So you guys heard Liam, and you heard that thanks to the amazing efforts of his team, they were able to drop the prices of the tickets quite a bit so that they're affordable for you guys. So that makes the festival such great value. And I can't encourage you guys enough to check out some of the awesome shows that will be down there. But we are starting to run out of time here. We've got a couple minutes left, so one thing that we're going to do is just recap a couple events that are going to be happening around the community over the next couple days, or I guess the next week or so, until the next episode airs. Another plug to tune in next Wednesday at 10 o'clock. But we have Music in the Park going on pretty much every day at Confederation Park. You can check out www.downtownkingston.ca slash events slash 2019 slash music in the park to see a schedule there. But there's all different types of music going on depending on the day. On Friday, there's always going to be a big band, so that's pretty cool. Uh, on top of that, there is the Taylor Hall Charity Ball Hockey Tournament going on on July 20th from 10 to 5 and that's going to be going on at the Metro parking lot. And I believe Taylor Hall himself is going to be there, seeing as he's originally from Kingston. And then one last cool little thing is that there is going to be a drop-in and spin pottery workshop going on at Amaranth Stoneware. And that is open to people of 
all levels of expertise with pottery and it seems as though you will be able to create your own bowl tumbler or vase or what have you and should be plenty of fun there you can check out www.visitkingston events for more information on things going around kingston for the summer there's a whole schedule up there i'm gonna have to head off but thank you so much for tuning in to Life of Kingston on CFRC 101.9. I am Michael Ashton Smith. And if you want to hear more about some awesome arts and cultural events happening around the city or what people have to say about them, then you can tune in next week also on Wednesdays at 10. I'm going to leave you with these messages and then off to our next program. Did you know every phone has the capability to play FM radio free of data use? But phone providers do not enable these chips by default. Visit freeradioonmyphone.ca to learn more and find out how to change this. Love podcasts? Want to try your hand at podcasting? Why not make your mark? and join CFRC's podcast network. Visit podcast.cfrc.ca, check out the great podcasts already produced right here at CFRC, and find out how you too can have your very own podcast.